Well, we are in uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to continue, but we're, co- we're kind of going to go over a little bit of, a little bit of where we were, because say, after I was done uh, last Shabbat, I didn't feel like uh, we had exhausted it or that I had really completely explained it uh, uh, well enough, uh, being the important passage that it is. And that is in Acts 15. We want to just cut to the chase in Acts 15 and kind of understand again what James was saying uh, uh, in, his, uh, in his conclusion, uh, in his judgment as it's called. Uh, and then we also uh, want to take a look at the beginning of uh, uh, Acts chapter 16 uh, and, uh, and the end of chapter 15. It kind of all goes together in, uh, in a particular way. Uh, and speaks to us, I think, uh, in, in kind of an interesting, in kind of an interesting way. So, if you remember, in Acts 15, uh, Acts 15 is the middle of the book of Acts. Uh, we know that one of the telltale signs of the coming of the Messiah uh, and of the beginning of the time of the end was the inclusion of Gentiles, that people from the nations uh, would come to know the God of Israel. I mean, that is very clear in the prophets, as well as in uh, the Torah, in Deuteronomy, certainly at the end of Deuteronomy, it's quite clear, uh, in uh, chapter 32, at the very end of uh, Moses, uh, Song of Moses there, uh, but also uh, throughout the prophets. In Isaiah, we all know passages where it says, and all the nations shall come to Jerusalem and worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And then it says in Zechariah, one of the last of the prophets, it says, you know, that in that day, the Lord would be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem and the nations would come, worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and celebrate Sukkot, we read. We read in Isaiah chapter 49 uh, that uh, the suffering servant uh, would, bring, uh, would, would, would bring salvation to the nations. We, we even read when Yeshua is born, he is called a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. So clearly, a sign of the coming of the Messiah is the, uh, is the inclusion of Gentiles. Well, you know, it's one thing to say, and it's one thing to have in a doctrinal statement, or it's one thing to believe, but on the ground, it, it becomes, well, how do we do this? You know, how do we actually, how does this work? Uh, you know, because we've never done this before right? So in Acts 15, we're, we're not in Jerusalem, we're in Antioch. Antioch in southern Syria, uh, where I, uh, you have now a significant congregation, a significant congregation uh, of uh, Jews and Gentiles, right? Now we have to always remember that we are not living in the days of the book of Acts. Our world is like opposite land from the days of of the book of Acts. So however we understand what was going on then, we have to really think deeply about, well, how do, how do we apply that in, in the 21st century, right? So for example, one of the main things that we have to always remember is that conventional wisdom at this time in the book of Acts is that believing in Yeshua was just part of the Jewish world. Just part of the Jewish world. That uh, whatever it means, whatever it was, and whoever he is, it's for Jews. 
That's, that was conventional wisdom. And the inclusion of Gentiles was absolutely radical. Talk about radical, you know? Wow, Gentiles are believing it. Is that what we say? Do we go to, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention any names of uh, churches. I don't want to do that, but we all, have, we all know lots of uh, churches in the area. Do you walk in there and say, wow, I can't believe all the Gentiles that are here. It just boggles the mind, right? No, that doesn't happen. That would have happened in the first century, see? So they're coming, like it's a, they're coming from a different place, right, uh, than we are. So it was a Jewish belief. A Jewish thing. And the inclusion of Gentiles was really radical. Now, another thing. Conventional wisdom at that time was, if you have Gentiles, that desire to uh, embrace the God of Israel, well, then they basically need to, to, use, to use vernacular that we're used to in our world. They have to convert. <laughs> okay? Uh, whether we want to use the word proselyte, conversion, become Jews, whatever term you want to use, okay? Just so as long as you understand it, all right? Uh, that, uh, that was conventional wisdom. Now what's happening is, and we saw it beginning with really uh, Cornelius in earnest, with Cornelius, and then very, very importantly, in the 13th chapter with this a uh, magistrate whose name was Sergius Paulus, that, uh, that Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul, leads him to faith in the Messiah, and it was absolutely scandalous that he did not uh, become a, a Jewish a, a proselyte, right? And this led John Mark, who was assisting Paul and Barnabas, to go back to Jerusalem. You know, how could we, this is, I can't take this, Right? Uh, so this was really radical and different. And then Paul and Barnabas are sent uh, uh, you know, to these uh, congregations in, in what we would call today Turkey, uh, and they go to synagogues, but we see a lot of Gentiles coming to believe. So now in, uh, in Antioch, they come back to Antioch to talk about how Gentiles are believing. Wow, this is amazing right? Uh, and we see that from Jerusalem, some unauthorized people come, not sent by James, but just kind of on their own, come and begin to uh, uh, tell people in the Antioch community that the Gentiles need to be circumcised if they're going to uh, really know the Messiah. The terminology, you cannot be saved. You cannot be delivered from your sins, uh, unless you're circumcised. Now, we have to also understand that circumcised here does not only mean the act of circumcision, okay? It means to basically come under the, uh, come under the house of Israel, to basically live Jewishly, to become Jewish. And we see throughout the Brit Hadashah scriptures that if you're of the circumcision or if you're of the uncircumcision. It means if you're Jewish or you're not Jewish, <laughs> okay? So it, it includes the actual act of circumcision, but means, you know, everything. The, uh, uh, you know, becoming responsible for the, for the entire Torah, as we read elsewhere uh, in, the, in the New Covenant. 
Uh, and so they have this big debate, right? Uh, and they decide, we can't answer this here. We need to go to Jerusalem and we need to bring it before the apostles and James will, uh, will give a verdict on this. And so they go to Jerusalem, they have this debate, and it really is, uh, uh, you can tell by the terminology in Greek that there was a lot of discussion going on here uh, on this. And basically, uh, Peter and Paul and Barnabas give testimony of, uh, of, of sharing the good news with Gentiles and that God led them to share this message with Gentiles and that God was doing the work of bringing Gentiles into the uh, 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 community. Uh, and then James hears it all and, and he says, well, this is indeed what the prophets were talking about. And then he picks out Amos uh, chapter 9, because there it talks about the restoration of the fallen booth of David, the dynasty of David, and how the nations would come under the dynasty of David, how the nations would come under, as, we, as it's said in the book of Ephesians, uh, the commonwealth of Israel, we might say. And so he picks that passage in uh, the ninth chapter of uh, Amos. And so all well and good, but then the question becomes, how do we do this on the ground? Okay, we have the uh, theology right. Okay, uh, Gentiles can come in. But how do we do this on the ground? Right? So uh, he says here, uh, it is, this is in verse 19 and, and uh, 20. He says, therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those that are turning to God from among the Gentiles. That is a very important statement uh, that uh, we do not um, put a burden upon and, and you know what's really interesting this could be uh, in, a, in a particular translation converted gentiles <laughs> when was the last time you ever heard that phrase right uh, we've all heard if you're a jewish believer in messiah and you've been around the block for a number of years you've heard the term converted jews you've, you've heard you've heard the term right uh, I've heard the term, Marcy's heard the term, uh, other people have heard the term, right? Uh, but here, because it was so unusual for Gentiles to believe that the phrase is converted Gentiles, those who are turning to God, right? Uh, repentant Gentiles, repentant pagans, <laughs> okay? But then he says, uh, so we don't want to trouble them. We don't want to trouble them, but he says we write to them that they abstain, and we talked about this last time, from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, what is strangled, and from blood. Uh, when you read it farther down, when they write a letter, the encyclical letter that they write to the existing congregations and report on this, in verse 29, it's, it's said there that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood uh, uh, and from things strangled and from fornication. The, the order is a little different, which is kind of uh, kind of interesting and of course uh, this verse uh, 20 has been uh, discussed and discussed and discussed uh, by uh, by um, many people and we talked about some of the options uh, uh, last time but as I said uh, I would suggest that what he's basically telling the these people to do but that you don't live like pagans anymore you don't live like pagans anymore now, here is something that we really need to understand. When I say that, uh, 
what, uh, what that meant then, okay? Because it means a little something different today. Uh, but what it meant then, okay? Uh, back then, you basically had, uh, from, from the point of view of the text, okay? Uh, from the Jewish point of view, you basically had Jews and pagans, right? You had like two categories, Jews and pagans. Whether they were Irish pagans, Italian pagans, uh, Syrian pagans, uh, you know, from Asia Minor, uh, from Spain or wherever they were, uh, uh, pagans. So you had Jews and pagans. So what he's saying to them is don't live that way anymore. Don't live that way anymore. Now, exactly how to live, you know, we don't have the nitty-gritty of exactly on a day-to-day basis exactly how, you know, uh, exactly how they lived. What we read here is what they didn't do, okay? Not necessarily what they did, but what they had to abstain from, abstain from that way of life. Today, and this is really important that we get this, we have additional categories. We don't just have Jews and pagans. You have, let's start with, okay, so you have the Jewish uh, way of life, and then uh, you have godless, pagan, out-of-bounds way of life, but then you also have what we might call a Judeo-Christian moral and ethic way of life. And then you also have the, the non-Jewish or Gentile, Christian, devoted to the Lord way of life. Okay? Those categories didn't exist in the first century. In other words, you didn't have people that, um, uh, you know, uh, in the first century in Acts 15, you didn't have anybody from an Assemblies of God church or a, a Baptist church or a non-denominational uh, church. You just had Jews and pagans. So what James is saying to them is, now that you are part of, you know, uh, you're under the, the kingship of the Messiah of Israel, and in this community, you can't live like pagans anymore, okay? Uh, and there's two reasons for it. One reason is it's wrong. You know, it, it, you don't want to live like pagans because it's not honoring the God of Israel. But the real motivation in this text is to be a good testimony, to be a good testimony because it says in verse 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues uh, every, every Sabbath, right? right? So that's what he's basically getting at, uh, that you, you, you want to be a good testimony uh, because uh, you know Moses is preached everywhere, and Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel and the nations, of course. Uh, but we don't want to give the impression that believing in Yeshua is, is a not-Jewish thing to do. Is a not-Jewish thing to do. Even though the categories in those days was just like godless, pagan, or Jewish. That what he's really getting at, to translate it into our world, is he's saying, given the cultural 
sociological context of where we are and where we live and the time in which we live, we don't want to, to testify that believing in Yeshua is a pagan concept or a non-Jewish thing to do, okay? So we live in a world where everybody believes that believing in Yeshua is a not-Jewish thing to do. That is like conventional wisdom, right? It is not conventional wisdom to believe that, um, oh, Yeshua is uh, the Messiah of Israel, uh, and so therefore Jewish people should believe in Yeshua, that in our little tiny, in our tiny little world, yes, that's like a common knowledge, in our tiny little world, but not in the big world out there. It is not common knowledge. The norm is, wow, look, a Jewish believer in Yeshua. Wow, isn't it amazing that there's Jewish people that believe? So do you notice it's like the opposite? It's not like even just different. It is the opposite of 2,000 years ago, okay? So what we draw from this certainly is that Gentiles are not called to live uh, Jewishly. Jewish people are called to live Jewishly. Uh, Gentiles are called to live, uh, you know, as the nations, okay? Uh, however, in our Messianic Jewish world, our primary outreach is not only outreach. The, the world in which we see ourselves in is in the Jewish uh, community, and so, therefore, we're not necessarily saying stop, you know, stop all of your pagan, stop drinking blood, everybody, right? Because you're not doing that. People aren't doing that, right? But what we're saying, we would say in our world, 2,000 years later, when the world is entirely different, we would say we want to be a testimony to Israel. And so, therefore, at Beth Messiah Congregation, I, I, you know, uh, we're not called, we're not saying everybody uh, uh, needs to uh, convert to Judaism. No, not in the least. People need to be who they are, but live within certain boundaries because Moses is preached around here. So as a community, we live within certain boundaries. So what this is really about is about deference. Uh, it is um, about caring for one another. Uh, it's kind of about dying to self. It's about being a testimony. It's not about rights and privileges. It's about servanthood uh, and uh, you know, uh, servanthood and sacrifice. Uh, and that is really uh, what's going on here. And I would suggest that is why everybody's rejoicing with this verdict. Do you notice that when you read this? Uh, it says here. In verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole congregation to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called uh, uh, Barsabbas, son of the Sabbath, a very kind of interesting name, and Silas, leading men of the, uh, leading men of the brethren. And they sent this letter by them saying, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your soul, it seemed good to us, uh, having become of one mind, 
to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, blood, strangled, fornication, and you keep yourselves free from such things. I think that's kind of interesting also, by the way. Such things, things that are out of bounds. Things that are out of bounds, whether universally out of bounds or culturally out of bounds. Because the main thing is, the test, in, this, in these passages, is the testimony. Don't do anything that's going to ruin your testimony. Don't do things that are going to miscommunicate who Yeshua is. In addition to the fact that, you know, it is uh, unseemly uh, and, and so on. So then uh, it says here in verse 30, So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. It wasn't a discouragement. It was an encouragement to everyone that, look, God is bringing in the Gentiles. He's bringing in the nations. They're not pagans any, anymore. They're not Jews. They were forging this new category, basically, is what's happening. This is the beginning of this category that we assume today. And that is people from the nations who embrace Yeshua, who are not Jewish and don't live Jewishly, but that but that defer to one another and love one another. And, and, and uh, the community of uh, Messiah followers was always meant to be a community of Jews uh, and Gentiles. What ended up happening, by the way, over the next few hundred years after this, was not that Gentiles became forced to live Jewishly, but that Jewish believers began to be forced to live like Gentiles like pagans, like non, we'll just say, like non-Jews. And that was a, uh, that was a, uh, a horrific development that has ramifications to this very day. Uh, the, the congregation of Messiah followers was always meant to be Jews living like Jews, people from the nations living like nations, but yet not drinking blood and going into pagan uh, temples and doing terribly ungodly things. But if you want to be a testimony to uh, where Moses is preached, well, then you want to be a testimony of that, I guess, you, you know, you want to be a testimony that Yeshua is, yes, for Jews and, and people of the nations. And that is what our, uh, hopefully, what our testimony is. So here, we defer to one another and that is a high value for us here of deference one to another. We're in an ethnically Jewish environment here. We're not preaching, you better do this or you better do that or you better... But no, we're in an ethnically Jewish environment. And so, therefore, we, we uh, have a particular way of life that we demonstrate here. Uh, and that is, I think, what, what's happening here. If I was in another country... Uh, or in, in just in another location, even in uh, our own city. Would I make demands that people live like me? Would I say that, no, you have to do this? No, you have to do that? No, I would not do that. 
Uh, but there's a particular calling upon us at Beth Messiah Congregation. And when you, uh, whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile, you demonstrate life in a particular kind of way to be a testimony. You know, there are many Jewish believers that, that, that really don't live too Jewishly, right? But coming here, we say, well, I guess, I mean, I am Jewish. I ought to be doing these things, right? You have that kind of people. You have Jewish uh, believers that, well, this is just the norm, the normal way of life. And then you have people from the nations that, right? Like, like most people here, right? That, that say, no, I am uh, partnering with uh, Israel. I'm part of this uh, uh, community. Uh, and so therefore, I uh, defer and we live this way to be a testimony uh, uh, to Israel. And we rejoice in that and we find encouragement in that. The other thing that's happening here in this, why were people rejoicing? Because the, the Gentiles were being validated as people from the nations and not like second-class citizens, you know? Uh, very, very important. And so there was rejoicing. Uh, there was rejoicing uh, in this. Now, I want to jump to the very beginning of chapter 16 before finishing chapter 15. Because there's something very much related to this at the very beginning of chapter 16. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> no circumcision. You don't have to live like Jews, right? Now, what do we read in the first four verses of chapter 16? And he, now, now this is Paul and Silas traveling. It says, and he came also to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. We know him, right? Uh, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, wrote two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We're familiar with Timothy, but this is where he's introduced to us in Acts 16, okay? Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He's a child of a mixed marriage, Okay? And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Wow, that's pretty interesting. This is, by the way, the very same Paul that said circumcision is nothing... He referred to it as mutilation of the flesh. Uh, he was pretty angry there in, uh, in Galatia, in the letter to the Galatians about circumcision. And clearly, Paul did not believe that, uh, you know, that Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Now, <clears throat> there is some difference of opinion uh, about in this particular time period, uh, was a person's Jewish identity determined by matrilineal descent or patrilineal descent. In other words, uh, was he considered Jewish because his mother was Jewish or was he considered Greek because his father was Greek, right? There's some differences of opinion. But I would suggest to us that to Paul that he circumcised Timothy not primarily just to be a testimony, but because he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be circumcised. In other words, 
His mother was Jewish, and he clearly, we know, what do we know? We know from another place. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read this about his matrilineal descent, his descent from his mother, and just how weighty this was. We read here... um, In verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. He doesn't say a word about his father. There's no mention of uh, Timothy's father, but of his grandmother and his mother. So we see there's a lot of weight given to his identity on his mother's side of the family, okay? So I would suggest that Paul, this is a really important passage for us but it te- because it tells us that Paul believed that Jews should be circumcised. <laughs> he believed that Jewish believers in Yeshua should be circumcised, even if their fathers are not Jewish, okay? We would go so far as to say, that, you know, if a person is Jewish, they have a Jewish parent, and they're, they, uh, you know, and they're, they're Jewish in their uh, self-identity, and that the ish part is there, if you know what I mean, the Jewish part uh, is there, yes, of course. Uh, and so Timothy is circumcised. So the, the apostles and Paul and Silas and Barnabas were not against the bris. They were not against uh, circumcision. They were not against Jews living as Jews. Not at all. Okay? And you see it here with Timothy. Uh, And uh, we could say, so Timothy was a Jew. Paul circumcises him. And uh, as a Jew, now what a testimony he is as a Messianic Jew. Uh, in, the, in the Jewish community, which is what we, would say about, uh, what we would say about ourselves being Jewish. We would say that, wow, as Jewish believers, we have a responsibility to live Jewishly as a testimony to our people, not conforming, not just fitting in, but because of who we really are. Very, very important. Now, in upcoming chapters, I'm going to mention this. I'm going to mention this now. But we'll go into more detail on it when we get to chapter 17. Because in chapter 17, you have a very interesting development. And that is the beginning of the congregation at Corinth. And there's some detail about that congregation and the Jewish context of the formation of that congregation, which helps us to understand a number of different things in Paul's first letter to the believers at Corinth, right? And uh, one of them is what we would call Paul's rule for the church, right? That's in chapter uh, 7, beginning in verse uh, 17. I'm going to read a part of it here, okay? In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, uh, this helps us to understand this issue of Jews and Gentiles back in Acts 15, you know, and, and, uh, and what we're reading about today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 17, it says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and thus I direct in all of the congregations. 
Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. When he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, what he means is in relationship to one knowing the Lord, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying it's irrelevant and useless and stupid or something. He's saying in relationship to knowing the Lord. You know, in another place he says, Paul is nothing, Apollos is nothing, right? They were not nothing, <laughs> all right? I, I, but he's making a point. He's using hyperbole here in order, you know, to, uh, to make a point. At the end of this little section, in verse 24, he says, Brethren, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So that's how, we know that that is how Paul understood James, uh, James uh, ruling and, and what they wrote to these congregations. And that everybody needs to be validated, but we want to make sure that we're a good testimony. And that's very important. You know, here at Beth Messiah Congregation, we don't do what we do in order to fit in to the Jewish community. We don't. If, we, if everything we did was in order to fit in, we would be absolute failures 100%. Because you know what? We don't fit in. Okay? First, in the 21st century, Jewish people believing in Yeshua doesn't fit in. Period. The end. All right? You can say anything you want when we're talking amongst ourselves. You get the idea that it's normal. You know, my children, I love, I love telling this. Uh, and maybe uh, some of them might be uh, here today. I'm not sure. Uh, but all three of my children had to be explained, we had to explain to them that all Jewish people don't believe in Yeshua because they were raised here, right? And so, so exhibit A, grandma and grandpa, <laughs> okay? How come grandma and grandpa don't believe in Yeshua? What, what, what is that about? Because, you know, they're, they're Jewish. Jewish. Yeshua is Jewish. Isn't that amazing? That was the, that's their, their primary understanding of the whole thing, right? But I had to break the news. Janet and I had to break the news, right? That we don't fit in, right? And my kids learned, even in school, when I remember Jason saying, you know, I always dreaded it when people would say, like, what are you, right? Like people say, what are you? And because, because you know, Jason would say, oh, yeah, I have to, it takes like a half an hour for me to explain it, okay? Uh, and and you, you, you know Jason very, very much like, I can just picture him saying that when he was in seventh grade, you know? It's going to take me a half an hour to explain it to you, you know? I, because it's not, you know, well, what do you mean you're Jewish and you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? You believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? How, well, how does that work? I don't get it. What does that mean, right? So we don't fit in. Even the way that we practice, uh, we modify ourselves in, our, in much of our Jewish practice because of the centrality of Yeshua. Very, very important. You know, we have some good friends in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that are very, we would call them orthopractic. 
You know what I mean? Very much uh, traditional. Yet in all of the liturgy, I, no, I shouldn't say all, in just about all of the liturgy, they include something about Yeshua. The centrality, the essential nature, the uniqueness of Yeshua in everything. We sometimes think, oh, we don't want to say that because we're trying to fit in. We're not trying to fit in. We are New Covenant Jewish. And, and does that mean we, we recreate everything? No, it does not mean we recreate everything. We have bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Oh, but we have bar Avrahams and bat Avrahams. Uh, we call people that are not Jewish to the Torah. We're not fitting in, okay? Granted, that's who we are. That's who we are. In the first century, the reason that James had to give this ruling is because they were not fitting in. That Gentiles did not have to become proselytes. That was radical. That was radical. You know? And, uh, and so we need to get that. We need to understand that. And we show deference to one another. And we live Jewishly. But, you know, if we're trying to fit in, we will, we will always be frustrated. We will always be frustrated. We're not trying to fit in. We're trying to be a good testimony of the Jewish uh, nature and uniqueness of Yeshua and reflect it in our lives as a congregation of Jews and Gentiles. And that is what Acts 15 means 20 centuries later to us. But get that, that Timothy has a bris. Timothy is circumcised, okay, because he's Jewish. And so it is a, it is a uh, very important uh, uh, piece of information, uh, piece of information for us. Okay, the very last thing is at the very end of, uh, the very end of Acts 15, okay, at the very end of Acts 15, we read this. After the letter is delivered, okay, uh, it says this in verse 32, and Judas and Silas also being, this is a different Judas by, this is not Judas Iscariot, okay? You know, make sure you understand. This is somebody else uh, that we're reading about here. And Judas and Silas, I believe also called Silvanus, I believe, I think so, okay? Uh, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Hey, by the way, I want to read that again. Okay, just want to read that again. Uh, okay, and Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encourage and strengthen the brethren with a lengthy message. Okay, so there you go, everybody. All right, but notice that they encouraged and strengthened the brethren. This was an important validating truth of Jews and Gentiles in the body of Messiah. All right, and after that, they, they spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace of those who sent them. But it remained good for Silas to uh, remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of God. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. It's, you know, the, that in and of itself is a very good leadership kind of uh, a teaching. Go back and visit them. Make sure that they're being discipled. Make sure we're not leaving them on their own, you know? And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. 
This is the very same John, also called Mark, that left them after Paul led this guy, Sergius Paulus, to the Lord. Uh, it says that John Mark went back to Jerusalem. I would suggest that the reason he went back to Jerusalem is because this was scandalous. The fact that this Gentile is, just, is believing in the Messiah and doesn't have to jump through any hoops, any Jewish hoops, okay? But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with, with them, had not gone on with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. This is as sharp as sharp gets, my friends. This was, Paul and Barnabas really had a big argument over this. Okay? It, and it caused them to separate. It caused them to like, go their separate ways from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed and being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilia, strengthening the congregations. So that's pretty interesting. That just goes to show you what a big issue this was. But you also learn here that Paul and Barnabas, two strong believers in the Lord, they had a different, just a, they, they were different. And they had a big disagreement. But they did not become enemies. And they didn't like gossip about each other. And they didn't hold a grudge. But they went their separate ways because it was the best way for them to be true to their conscience and to serve God. They went their separate ways. We read later on that Paul speaks well of Barnabas. Okay? I, but Barnabas took Mark with him, John Mark, and now Paul travels with Silas. Uh, and, uh, and that's why you may be familiar with well, Paul and Silas went on their way. You, know, you, you, you hear that, Paul and Silas. I thought it was Paul and Barnabas. Well, they, Paul worked with two different people. Uh, and, uh, and there's a lot I could say. There's a lot we could say about that. But, but just uh, to get the, the point, this was a really big issue. And it caused, really, the issue with, Mar with John Mark. Uh, it really raised an issue. And now Paul goes with Silas. And you know what ends up happening? Twice as many places are hearing the good news as a result. Okay? Uh, and then we read about Timothy. So, uh, you know, at the, um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what, uh, what can we say? Well, everything that we've, we've already said that, that uh, you know, clearly uh, what was so important was the testimony and in this case, the testimony, you know, to, uh, to, to the Jews that believing in, in Yeshua was not a pagan thing. And we said, well, that's a takeaway for us in our, in our congregation that uh, we want to have a testimony, even though we don't fit in, we want to have a testimony that Yeshua is the Messiah uh, of Israel and that he really is uh, the Messiah for Jews uh, today without having to jump through cultural hoops in order to believe in Yeshua. And so that can be applied in many, many different situations all around the world, right? But there's other things. Uh, we take away what they valued. We really see what they valued in that day.
they value deference. Clearly, they value deference. You know, and it just brings to light what you read about in Philippians. Defer to one another, right? Treat others as more important than yourselves. It's not about rights and privileges, right? Didn't we, um, we, we read that last week about Paul in, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians. We'll be addressing that again when we get to chapter 17. That Paul said, you know, it's not about my rights. It's about being a servant. It's about being a slave of Messiah. It's not about what, what I deserve. Yes, I could take a wife with me if I wanted to. Yes, I could eat what I want to. But I, I care about the people I'm ministering to. Uh, and so, uh, therefore, it's about sacrifice and servanthood, not privileges and rights. Deference. Also, acceptance. Accepting people. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been at that day for your typical Jewish person who embraced Yeshua to say, oh, yes, Mr. Gentile, come in. And you know what? Even though for thousands of years you would have had to become a proselyte and be circumcised, you know, starting now you don't have to be. That would have been a tough one. That would have, because we've always done it that way, you know? But this was the beginning of something different. That must have been tough for these Jewish believers to just readily accept these Gentiles coming in as non-Jews embracing the Messiah of Israel. So acceptance, right? You know what? They also, they also valued authority and due process. Authority and due process. It wasn't every man for himself. They went to James. And after James gives the judgment, that's how it is, and they're all rejoicing. And so very, very important to get that due process. They went to James. They all shared, you know, they shared the testimony. But it wasn't like they didn't take a vote. It wasn't like, okay, how many people think the Gentiles should be circumcised? Do we have a consensus on this from everybody in the congregation? They did not do that. See? that James made the decision. And so they believed in the due, in due process and authority. Due process and authority. Not about rights and privileges. It's about servanthood uh, and sacrifice. Okay? And authority. There's much more to say on that. We'll be addressing some of that in our prophets class, by the way. But that's beyond the scope of this message. <laughs> okay? All right. Uh, anyway, well, finally, may I suggest that the most important value that we get out of this is the testimony of Yeshua. They were concerned about the testimony of Yeshua more than they were about their own self-interests or lifestyle. They wanted to make sure that where Moses is preached, there was a good understanding of this new development on the ground, this new development of Jews and Gentiles together, and what that meant for the truth of the Messiah. What was most important was their testimony. And I pray that for us, uh, that we would have those same values as those early believers, the value of deference, acceptance, authority, due process, uh, and the testimony of Yeshua uh, and, and making sure that we are really, uh, we are really mirroring
who Yeshua is so that people can really know the Messiah of Israel and the nations. And so that is uh, uh, a little bit there about Acts 15 and the very beginning of 16. And now we're going to, we'll see as we continue next week, now it's about the travelings of Paul and Silas and where they go and how they conduct themselves. Uh, and, uh, and this issue of Jews and Gentiles is not done yet in, this, in, in the book of Acts. Very importantly, uh, actually, in chapter 17, uh, we'll see how it works itself out there. Uh, so let us pray, and we'll be all set for today. Lord uh, God, I pray that if we are watching, listening, participating today, and we're Jewish, and we're wondering uh, about Yeshua, that we might realize that Yeshua really is the Messiah of Israel. I pray, Lord, that for anybody who is Jewish today, who's paying attention to this message, to realize that Yeshua is for you, that he is indeed the Messiah, and that there is a place in Columbus, Ohio, where you can go and be Jewish and believe in Yeshua and, and uh, recognize uh, the, the great value and fulfillment an assurance of deliverance and acceptance before God. And Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening today, whoever we may be, whatever culture we're from, know that, Lord, you accept people no matter what their background is, no matter what their history is, no matter where they come from or what they've been in. Thank you, Lord, that we all walk through that narrow gate. And God, I pray that all of us I, might put away uh, practices that don't testify of you, Wh whatever they may be, Lord, and that we may live within the boundary markers of being a Messiah follower and living in whatever cultural milieu we may be in. But Lord, let us also remember, God, for all of us who embrace Yeshua that we do not fit in. We just don't fit in. And our goal is not to fit in. Our goal is to testify of the reality of Yeshua and the attractiveness of what it means to be a Messiah follower. May we never be arrogant. May we never be know-it-alls. Uh, may we never insist that uh, people uh, live, dress, and act uh, like us, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, for, for wherever in this world people may be, that they can embrace Yeshua within the culture in which they dwell. In our little world here at Beth Messiah, Lord, thank you, God, that you've raised up a congregation where Jews and people from the nations can come together and, uh, uh, and be one in Messiah, yet maintaining individual identity. But Lord, may our testimony be of the Jewish Yeshua. Uh, no matter where we are, uh, Lord, may our congregation uh, be a testimony of the Messiah of Israel. And we pray in Messiah's name, amen.